Welcome to the Hayes Salespeople Podcast, where we talk to the brightest minds in modern sales and get their tips and advice on all things sales. I'm your interim host, Jenna Sachs from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today, I want to welcome Eric Leipzig to the podcast. Hey, Eric. Hi, Jenna. Eric is an enterprise account executive at Ontic, which is a protective intelligence software innovator, transforming, expanding, and changing how Fortune 500 and emerging enterprises protect employees, customers, and assets from physical security threats. So Eric, very excited to have you here. Um, we like to start this off with an icebreaker of some sort, uh, you know, fun fact, something about you that you know, may be interesting to anyone listening. Sure. First of all, thanks for having me, Jenna. Um, a fun fact for me, during COVID, you know, I, I try to play tennis as much as possible, which is, of course, tough in New York City. But during COVID, I went to uh, one of my local parks and I found a wall. And, you know, my goal was to hit against the wall as much as I can, which is a very sad and isolating activity, you know. And at some point, the police kept kicking me off the wall. So the only time I've really ever been, you know, against or out of compliance with the law was when I was going to this tennis wall and I got kicked out repeatedly by the police. Really, really daredevil actions there. Um, I mean, COVID in New- in New York was a very, very surreal experience. So I could definitely relate to that. I did not leave my house, um, and I remember, you know, my partner would try to go play golf even, and that was just not a thing. And that's such an isolated activity. We talked a little bit before we started recording, and um, would love to just kick this off with you know anything that's top of mind for you as it comes to you know just developing a sale in the enterprise space. And what is the first thing that you think is the most important, you know, at least in your process to do that? So I think before the sales cycle, and it sounds cliche, but you got to do the research. Um, You really need to understand who you're talking to and why that person would be remotely interested in talking to you at all and making sure that you can find the proper points of not just how am I going to sell whatever product platform solution to this individual, but how am I actually solving a problem for them, right? Um, what are the problems that they're facing that I'm going to have to run into and anything I can glean before our conversation is important. Do you have any specific examples of how you make sure to do enough of that research that you're getting the right conversation for that initial call? Definitely. I know LinkedIn and regular Google searches you know, is, is sort of an obvious step one. Um, I found a lot of success from going into company 10Ks and really understanding from a you know, 30,000 foot view, what are the main risks that this company is, is, you know, calling out in advance of their year or looking back at their year saying, you know, this is something that could be a huge issue for us and maybe trying to latch onto one of those facts. That's a really interesting angle. I think a lot of people, again, to your point, use the LinkedIn sales navigator, the maybe crunch base to see different rounds that are happening, um, you know, all these different factors that really make up the firmographics, but there's always, I think, new and creative ways of doing that. So, you know, once you're in there, <laughs> what do you think is the most important thing? Then I think it comes down to, to relationship building, um, making sure that you are a talking to the right people and that you're understanding what are the problems that they're facing and, and hopefully trying to counteract them directly, right? Um, but at the same time, I think a lot of salespeople are very quick to immediately talk to, here's what I'm selling, um, and fighting back that urge, and A, getting to know someone you know, as, as a human. I, I remember in, in sales jobs past, I was always very confused 
how a lot of my colleagues were still actually very close friends with a lot of, you know, ex, uh, you know, people that they sold to, you know, either current or ex clients. Right. Um, but I've, I've really figured out that I think that the value of a very good seller is actually making these real relationships and friendships with these people and maintaining that for that person's next job and your next job. Right. And, and I, you know, I, I've seen a lot of people be very successful being able to do that. Right. And I think that actually kind of speaks a lot to just, just enterprise sales versus maybe something that's more commercial, more transactional. And, you know, early in the career, we obviously know each other from way back where, you know, before you were doing true enterprise sales, where it was really just, you know, hitting the phones, getting, getting that sale done, sometimes a one call close, you know, I, do you think that that was a main factor in really pivoting the relationship and, and how did you go about doing that? Starting from you know where we know each other to my next job, I I was initially in an enterprise role, um, you know call, call it almost a, a mid market enterprise role. But then I went to a company that was on a monthly quota that was really sort of a churn and burn five to fifteen thousand dollar sale that we were trying to make every two to three weeks, right? Um, and and the relationship building, of course, is going to be secondary when you're working on on a monthly number. You need to get to it very quickly, you know. Um, you know, the last two gigs I have, especially this one, where the sales cycle is at minimum in a best case six months. And, you know, I'm running into 12 to 18 month cycles right now, right? Um, so, as much as you want to have the urge and as much as people are always preaching, get the close, ask for the signature, you know, get it done, um, it's not even an option, right? So, you, you really have to sort of take that step back, learn to, you know, take deep breaths throughout this process because, um, it could be a complete perfect fit and this person and their whole team can give you a hard, yes, we want to be a customer. And it's still going to be another three to six months until they actually sign the contracts because of reviews, because of higher up approval and budget, things like that. Right. So since you have done the more transactional sale and then the more enterprise level sale, do you have an example of maybe the one of the first times you realized Oh crap! This is something different. This is something that I really need to to build these relationships with. How did that go for you that first time that happened? You know, even in my current gig now, which is a little bit further into my enterprise, you know, sort of, I'm, I'm finding to be a little bit different than even what I was doing prior. Um, you know, so I was able to get a luckily a very strong champion, um, and I started talking to them in October of last year, and you know the. The process was pretty straightforward and they were very open with me throughout throughout the entire thing. And then probably around February, he goes, we got buy-in, we're good to go. And I go, great. Like, should we start moving into legal procurement, you know, getting the actual contract signed? And ultimately the answer was, well, budget's not going to open up until May. So you're sitting there wondering, is this thing actually going to to come to fruition? Luckily it did. And I think that that goes back to the power of having a strong champion. Um, but you know, you really just had to, had to sit there and keep working the relationship, and and it all it all ultimately worked out. Well, um, I think it is it does speak a lot to the importance of staying on their radar and again having that relationship so that you can do a check in and and it's not just an annoying pushy sales thing. You know, it's not until May, but if you just went radio silent until May, probably right. wouldn't have happened. Um, I, I I think uh, even I constantly feel like when I'm sending an email, I need to always end it with a, you know, let's set up time to talk or some sort of call to action item where I think, especially in enterprise sales, sometimes you're just sending an email to give someone content and you don't have that ulterior motive. 
you know? I mean, if there, if there was a call to action at every time, especially in your example of February to May, they're not going to do any call to action because they already explained to you, Hey, we don't have this until May. And if you're asking for that, if you're asking them to do things in between this, then that's actually not really listening to what they've already shared with you, you know, in in confidence that, you know, you're going to run the right sale with them. And if you do have that strong champion, odds are they're probably still going to say yes to getting on that call. And then you realize when you show up to that call that you don't really have have any any main up you know any big updates to share with them. You're just sort of hardwired to try to get someone to talk to you on the phone, and it and that's kind of the safe space, and you have that next step. Um, so I guess being being comfortable without that clean next step sometimes is 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 important in in a longer tail process. Um, and probably is a little bit frustrating and anxiety. <laughs> written when you're not really sure what's next, but you know that there's an end game at least. Um, you keep saying strong champion, right? And I, you know, we, we talk about champions, I think all the time on this podcast, but I would love to know for you, what, what makes a strong champion and how does that really influence your sale in the po- most positive way possible? For people who do use sales uh, navigator, there are some pretty easy Boolean searches you can create to actually find specific, you know, filters for people, right? And typically it's going to be an SDR doing this to try to find good lead lists with the right, you know, personas, the right ICPs, as they say. Um, but in in this case, someone taught me to run a search for any um, any ideal candidate who would potentially be buying my product who used to work at a company that is a client. And I know that's a little bit sort of hyper-focused, but I found those are going to be the best champions. These are people who you can skip a little bit of the education process. Of course, you have to sort of show the updates since they've used the product. But generally, these are people who are already evangelists, right? That, that's been my easiest way to find out who the, who the best possible champions are. And then once you find that out, how do you really make them into that advocate internally? Other than obviously the historical knowledge of your product, but you know, how do you work with them specifically on the now, maybe the unique needs of their, their new company? Yeah. I, I, I think also, again, it's a function of time, right? You need to, you know, you can definitely send them a, Hey, looks like you landed on a new gig. That's wonderful. Um, I'd love to set up time to, to connect, to, to understand your new role, right? Not even, I want to set up time to, to, you know, push my, my, my platform, my product up at you. Um, but just to understand more about what problems are they going to be facing. And, you know, I'm sure they're still learning also. Right. Um, so I, I think it's trying to sort of put your foot in the door as soon as they're there to say, like, I'm ready to talk whenever you're willing. Um, you know, I have, I have an example now where I was talking to one company who I, I don't know if that original company is actually going to convert, but I formed a great relationship with, with the main, you know, person who was, who was running the team and the decision there. And he left about 75% way of the way through the sales process, right? And now he's at a new company and, you know, hopefully that company ends up buying soon, but also this person's becoming an evangelist, right? They're showing up to um, webinars and podcasts for, for our company. They're showing up to different roundtables of, of, of industry panelists, right? I think you, know, you also mentioned not trying to push something right down their throat when they first get there, but planting the seed, right? I think anyone who's been a champion knows that if they're getting outreach from someone they've worked with on a sales cycle at a previous company, they know that they're expecting a sales pitch at some point. Um, but again, if you have that relationship, it's a little less down their throat. I think, I think a lot of people try to avoid having the word sales 
in their title or on LinkedIn in their title. And I, you know, I've never been on the buyer side, so I don't know. But I, I think generally our buyers are smart enough to know that they're talking to a salesperson and trying to hide behind a title that's not sort of direct confuses, right? Um, you know, they, they, they know who you are. They know probably what your ultimate goal is. And I think they'll be more impressed if you're not just, you know, going for the, the kill every single time. As someone who has been on the buying side, I can validate that for sure. I think, you know, you see these wacky titles, um, and, and these super vague LinkedIn messages, and you immediately know that that's the sales pitch in some way, right? Um, whereas if you're just kind of a human and say, hey, you know, we're doing this over here, would love to have a conversation, there is a need for it, or if I am familiar with the product, I'm much more likely to respond to it. And especially if it's top of mind for me of, of a potential fit at that moment. Especially if you're looking at a six to nine month sales cycle. You can only sort of hide behind a, 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 a fake or, or misleading title for so long. So obviously, the champion's not the the only important person here. Um, I think the last episode I recorded, we we talked about you know really uh, arming your champion with the right tools to make sure that they have internal buy in and make sure that you have you know really multi touch points within the organization. So we talked a little bit about multi-threading before we started recording today. Uh, would love to know your thoughts there and and how you go about leveraging not only the champion, but your own outreach to to get that multi-threading in a place that is going to be beneficial to the deal. I, I think multi-threading is something that that managers and trainers are always preaching from from the jump, but they don't exactly explain how to how to make that happen, right? Um but it's it's making sure, especially as you move through an enterprise cycle, you're probably generally going to be talking to a lower level person up front, right? And I think there's there's always the urge to once you get introduced to that next level person, let's call it a manager to a director level, that you forget about the manager. And and I think that that's a mistake. Um, you know, being able to continue the conversation with the manager. Um, you know, whether that's going to be focused on your product or not, but at the very least, someone you know that if you reach out to them, you're going to get an answer in, in a pretty quick amount of time, right? Because when it comes down to it, you know, you're hitting the end of your fiscal or the end of when your, you know, your forecast said this deal was going to close, you need updates, whether whether it's going to be something that's actually material and going to help you, great. But otherwise, you know, the, the worst thing that you can, the worst news you can deliver to your sales team is saying, no one's answering me right now. Yeah. And a lot of times it might not be the director's priority to get this done, but they've delegated it to somebody else to get it done. And even though they're a stakeholder, they're not necessarily going to be the person that's going to help you along the way. And nor do they want to be in a lot of cases. Right. There's there's one um, sales cycle I'm, I'm in right now. But um, you know, the first conversation I, I had with them was with the guy in his car. Right. So the initial thought was, this guy probably isn't going to be my guy. Um, you know, and he introduced me to his manager who ultimately introduced us to that guy's manager who, who will hopefully be signing the contract. Right. But I've, I've tried to maintain relationships with all three of those people. Um, and, and I think just having that visibility, especially in, in, you know, when you're on month two or three of going through legal red lines, you need to make sure that these people are still invested and that they know what's going on. I mean, otherwise they, they've forgotten about this. They've moved on to the next thing and and you're... You're stuck now having to resell some of those people maybe in the 11th hour. In, the, in this deal specifically, if I didn't have such a strong champion, they told us straight up that they would have moved on from this project. 
you know, I do love when there's honesty there too. I think as a buyer, that's something I try to practice too. It sounds like not only are you having just somebody strong that's advocating internally, but you're also giving them a lot of the resources that they need that, you know, you have on the ready. They're not, it's not like you're scrambling to find a reference. It's not like you're scrambling for, um, you know, collateral to give them to help them push things internally. What do you think, you know, maybe it is references, but what do you think is the most effective thing that you can arm your stakeholders with in order to make sure that the broader organization has buy-in? I think, I think it's, it depends on exactly what you're selling and how it's going to affect the people that you're talking to. Um, you know, one, one slide that I've been leaning on a lot in, 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 in you know, throughout enterprise sales jobs I've had is talking to it in a sort of a, what we heard, a version of what we heard in every single time we're going to talk, right? Making sure that they understand a, what are they doing in this conversation, but be like, what were the points and the sort of the, the, the key pain points that they were running into. And I think hitting them over the head with that, right. Making sure that they understand, oh yeah, I do face this pain on a day-to-day basis. Um, and I think, you know, that ultimately is, is allows them to understand the value of what you're giving them, um, and making sure that you can, you can keep hitting them, you know, with that so that they'll be able to, to, realize what they're getting out of a software platform like ours. Right. I think you're also validating that you've listened, right? You're checking in and you're not saying something that's wildly off base, especially if there's a new stakeholder on the call. I mean, I've had this example as a buyer where I did a whole discovery call with somebody, gave them very specific information about like, this is what we're looking for. We get to that initial demo call with the broader group of my stakeholders and I had to end it. Because within 10 minutes, it was pitching us a solution for something that we specifically said we couldn't do. So, you know, I think that that's one way to really kill a deal is just not to listen. But I think if you have that check-in, it's so important to make sure that you're, you're saying, I've, I've heard you, is this still a problem? You know, is it the same impact? Is there something different? Is there something that I need to know that, that is more unique to your department potentially? Ultimately, like you, you got to put the homework in because the people you're talking to are going to notice very quickly, right? Um, and you know you have to you have to keep in mind that these people are probably talking to salespeople all the time, right? You have to stand out. Um, you got you got to find your way to differentiate from the others. And I think a lot of that comes back to what homework are you doing in advance? Definitely listening comprehension, so that not only are they getting on that first call with you, great, but why would they come back and talk to you again? Right. It's great to get that tiny victory of them showing up and 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 entertaining, you know, at least a half hour, hour long conversation. But it's you need to be able to to bring it to them of, of why it makes sense for them to continue down the road with you. And what are some signs that you tend to see from people that might not be fully bought in and, you know, on that maybe on that initial call? And how do you get around that to make make them want to buy in to a next call? I I think a lot of salespeople, when they're done with their initial pitch, um, they'll quickly, you know, they'll try to get a next step and then they'll say goodbye, right? Um, I think you you do need to ask those uncomfortable questions when you're done. You need to ask, you know, is is this something that resonates? Do you do you see how how this could make sense for your business? And getting getting a sense from them whether they actually understand what the value proposition is and how it could be solving some of the problems that they hopefully told you they're facing, right? And I think. Every salesperson wants to get the sale, right? They want to close that deal. They want to push things forward. But 
you know, I've also had a lot of people that I've worked with, you know, or whether, you know, at a company I worked with that I've heard selling or someone that was trying to sell to me, where sometimes they're just like, look, this doesn't feel like it's a good fit right now. Let's, you know, talk later. Or, you know, if there's something that down the line, you know, how do you draw that line? Uh, when, when talking to a prospect to say, look, this might not be the right thing right now, but let's keep in touch, you know, versus pushing the deal forward. You know, I, I think it's a little bit tricky. You obviously don't want to be wasting your time. Um, at the same time, if, if you don't have a massive pipeline, sometimes you need to exhaust all avenues before you do walk away. Right. You know, they could be really strong and say they get it and say they want it, but if they don't have any budget, and they don't have access to the actual buyers, um, it's going to be a lot more difficult. And, and, and that, you know, you'll be facing a, a large uphill battle, right? Um, I, I think it's understanding exactly why you would be walking away, whether that means you should be talking to someone else or whether just timing is completely off. You know, we talked about multi-threading. If you already have some of those different threads within the organization, then maybe it is, to your point, just... Maybe it's not this person. Maybe I now go with some of the other relationships I've been building to try to figure out how to actually effectively get this deal in motion the way that I need it to be. Um, so I think that's also the importance of not only once you get in the door, but once you even at the initial qualification stage, the more touch points you have, the better. Yeah, I, I ran into a situation even last week where I've been talking to someone who's pretty close to or is the decision maker in the process. And, you know, as, as it happens, they're sort of dragging their feet and they're you know taking a while to get back to me, which is fine, right? Through our organization, and, and I'll give them a lot of credit, they've done a great job of making sure that if there are people in their network that they know at any of these companies, um, that they'll set up time to talk, right? So they introduced me to a lower level person that one of the, one of the you know, deal, active deals I have. So it kind of went backwards. It wasn't pushing up the ladder. It was actually pushing down. And in this case, that person said, honestly, Eric, now probably isn't the best time, right? We're, we're probably not interested. Um, and, and being able to, to hear that probably saves me time of chasing, chasing this company for much longer. And it gives you more time to map out what that strategy looks like for when it is the right time. I think people talk a lot about going upwards in the chain, right? But going a level down uh, may actually give you more insight because you're going to get somebody who probably has the time to talk to you a little bit more. So going back to the idea of a strong champion, that could very well be your lower level employee. You know, I, don't, I know we keep saying lower level, but not the VP, right? It could it very well, most in probably many cases, is that person who is the user of the software, who understands how it's going to make their day-to-day easier. Have you found that where you thought you had a champion in a higher level role. And then maybe you were introduced to somebody who was below them in the org structure that ended up being your, your strong champion. Generally it has been a little bit more linear, um, but it's, it's still being able to, to tell yourself that it's okay to move down. And, and I think people think the word champion is always one person, but it doesn't have to be right there. There could be, there could be a user champion and a, decision maker style champion, right? And and being able to maybe have both. And even if they're functioning on their own planes, they're not always intersecting with each other. Um, definitely goes a long way. This 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 one deal that is currently moving its way through legal is is hopefully an example of that for me. 
I think that's a pretty good place to leave things. Um, thank you so much, Eric, for being here. If if somebody does want to get in touch with you to talk about anything enterprise sales or Ontic or just anything in general, what's the best way for them to do so? Uh, probably through LinkedIn. Feel free to find me and ping me and then I'll, uh, I'll answer from there. Great. Well, thanks so much again for being here. Of course. Thank you, Jenna. Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jenna Sachs. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey, Salespeople podcast. 